I'll jump right in. I'm excited about my word for you this morning, and um, I've really, I had been chewing on it for a couple of weeks, kind of going back and forth, and I knew what, what I kind of had in my heart, but I wasn't really sure the full direction of it, and in the last few days, God has just brought it all to completion, and um, I, this word is not just for moms or women, this is not just for adults or for kids, it is for everyone in here, and brace yourself, because I just want to tell you, it really isn't about you. That is a super encouraging word today on Mother's Day, that it's not about you, but all the moms know that it ends up, you know, I'll go to a store and I will be going because I want to find something cute for myself. And I walk out with something for Seth and Ainsley and the cat and a friend, and I don't actually buy something for myself. You know, that's reality so often. It really isn't about you. Today's culture is focused on me, 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 me. And I did a quick Google search about quotes, about self-care, personal growth, loving yourself, things like that. Here's a few of those quotes that I found. Um, Focus on loving yourself. Do what makes you happy. You have your own life. Why waste it focusing on others? Chase your vision and dreams. Success will start following you. Success is doing what you want to do, when you want, where you want, with whom you want, as much as you want. Do what you love and follow your own way. That was just the the first few quotes that I saw when I Googled, um, you know, focusing on yourself. And with the right godly mindset, these aren't all bad. Yes, you should focus on yourself so that you can function well. Yes, you should love yourself. That would be depressing if you didn't. All of those things in some way, if you put a spiritual context in them, yeah, that's great. But so much of our common culture says, I don't have to worry about anyone or anything else. I shouldn't. I shouldn't stress myself out about anyone or anything else. Why waste my time on someone else? Why waste my energy? or my focus on anyone else. And that's what culture wants you to believe. That's what I see so many mommy blogs about me time and about, um, you know, not not spending time on other people. And the, the intention is great, but the intention does not line up with biblical values because As we read in scripture, we learn that we're actually supposed to be laying down our life, not only for Christ, but for our brother. And that's that's so counterculture. The truth is the cultural idea of success, of self-care and purpose for a person's life, it doesn't line up with God's will for you and I. All of us would probably agree here in this room that everything that God creates And everything that he does has a purpose. He is not wasteful. We would all agree with that. Everything that God does, everything he creates has a purpose. So when we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, where it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. 
If we believe that everything that God creates has purpose, if we believe that he is not wasteful with anything, then we should also believe that since he created us in his own image and the very breath that we breathe is God's breath that fills our lungs, then we should believe that we have been created with a purpose and he has not wasted anything on our lives. Even our flaws have purpose. Even our flaws are not wasted because they are all lining up with God's purpose for our lives. We read in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And Psalm 57 2, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. There is purpose in every breath that we breathe. There is purpose because we are his workmanship. We are his pride and his joy. Yes, he created the moon and the stars and the sun, and he created all the things that, that have breath on this earth, but what he saw that was good was actually whenever he created man in his own image. On that day is when he said, this is good. I'm I'm." happy. I'm pleased with this. We are his workmanship. Your life and God's design for it is so beautiful. Satan loves to take what is beautiful and ruin it. He loves to do that. How does he do that? By distorting reality, by whispering lies, attacking our identity. Maybe there are people with sexual identity issues, struggling with addiction, They seem to settle for less than what they deserve. They think that they don't deserve good things. They hold grudges. They're stuck in bondage. Satan wants to take the beautiful life that God has created for us, and he wants to ruin it. But God. Everybody say, but God. But God loves to make what Satan thinks he has ruined and make it beautiful. What Satan does and what he says is not the final answer. What Satan tries to tell you and and what Satan uses other people to tell you is not the final answer. What you think is ruined or what you think is over is not the end because God has already said everything that I create is good and I created you and you are good. You have purpose and he makes what Satan thinks he ruined and he makes it beautiful. God God isn't looking for perfection from us. You say, I have my flaws. I, I can't, I can never achieve all of these great things. We hear about all these great legends of, of history in, in scripture and, and in Christian history, or you know, the great preachers that you see um, on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube, and you say, I can never reach that. I don't even want to preach. I don't, I don't like talking in front of people. God isn't looking for perfection, and He's also not looking for your idea of success. He's looking for your willingness to follow him. He's just looking for willing hearts. That means old willing hearts and young willing hearts and middle-aged willing hearts. That means female willing hearts and male willing hearts. That means married and single. That means with kids or without kids. He's just looking for a willingness to follow him. And as we read in scripture and as we see time and time again, there's no one in this book where we read a story that God said they messed up too much, they weren't perfect enough, they didn't do what I wanted them to do, 
So I'm just not going to use them anymore. And their purpose is over and dead. He's just looking for your willingness to follow him. That's it. Even when we mess up, when we mess up, we say, okay, God, I'm going to start fresh. Thank you, Lord, for a clean slate every time. Your very existence has already changed the course of history. God's design for you and I is to walk in the purpose that he has created us with. So we have to choose to get to the point and determine in our hearts to get to the point that every morning when we wake up and we're getting ready for our day, no matter what's happening, no matter what our job is, no matter where we're going, where we're able to say, my purpose is not about me at all. My purpose is not even about what people need from me or want from me. My purpose is just to serve God and he will take care of the rest. So what is God's purpose in my life? Well, throughout scripture, as we read, everything continues to point us to three main things. Love God, keep his commandments, and make disciples. It's not complicated. In Matthew 22, 37 through 40, it says, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, loving God. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So my step one is I got to love God. And then I have to start following him. Romans 10, 14 through 15 says, How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Your feet are beautiful. I know some of you don't like feet. They gross you out. I don't mind them if they've been thoroughly washed. Oh, I do not like it when kids come to me with their sweaty socks and they're like, will you put my socks back on me? And I, every time I say, no, you can do it. <laughs> I don't like feet. But how beautiful, the word says, are the feet of those who carry the gospel. So we love God and we keep his commandments. We're serving him. And then we go make disciples. That's our purpose. No matter if we are a preacher or if, if we're a teacher, if we're farmers, if we work in an office, no matter what our role is, no matter what our job is, my purpose is those three things, loving God, keeping his commandments, and making disciples. Let's talk about some things that happen when I live in God's purpose. What happens when I live in God's purpose? Super encouraging one, pain. Jesus is the prime example of this. Why did Jesus come to the earth? What was his purpose? So that he could offer his life for our freedom for sin, from sin. And so he died on the cross for us. That was a whole lot of pain. The disciples, great example of some people who had to go through pain to live out God's purpose for them. Some of them were stoned, killed by sword, beheaded, thrown off a cliff, exiled, there were a whole lot of awful things that happened to the disciples. We've talked in fire class about how um, when the Assemblies of God first started and there was a, a brand new fire for Pentecost in our country, um, people who were 
living that lifestyle were genuinely the outcast. They were the other side of the tracks kind of people. And I remember whenever I was in college that uh, one of my professors, we read this book um, talking about the beginning of the Assemblies of God. And, and he shared with us some stories about men and women who were literally beaten and tortured. Some were tarred and feathered just because they were walking in a new revival with God. What happens when I live in God's pre- purpose? I'm going to experience pain. Living in God's purpose does not eliminate or avoid pain and sorrow, but I always know that he's right there with me, and his purpose for me is much greater than any pain that I could ever experience. Sacrifice happens whenever I'm living in God's purpose. God wants everything, not just a little bit, not just my 10% of my income, not just my hour and a half on a Sunday morning or my drive to work with Christian radio. God wants everything. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Matthew 10.38 says, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. If I choose to not lay down my life for Christ, if I choose to to just pick and choose the days that I'm going to serve him, well, scripture says I'm not even worthy of Christ. Romans 12, 1 through 3 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Other translations say, which is your your purpose for your life. This is your act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. You know what I, I take from all of these things? It doesn't matter what I want, and it doesn't matter what the world tells me is okay. I'm supposed to die daily to Christ every single day. That's how I follow him. That's how I live in purpose. That's where the sacrifice comes in. I remember when I was younger, um, really young, I uh, heard these stories about missionaries in North Korea who were um, experiencing torture and, and death even, and um, I couldn't remember all the details of, of the stories that I'd heard, but I remember my dad telling a couple of stories and some missionaries came one time, and I've never forgotten these stories because it... It was so real because it was happening right then. In 1996, there were reports of five men accused of running an underground church in North Korea. They were forced to lie on the ground with their families watching as steamrollers crushed them. In the early 90s, a young North Korean girl dropped a Bible by the river while she was washing clothes. She and her father were arrested, beaten, their legs were broken, they were dragged out to the streets like dolls, tied onto poles, and shot. In 2005, there were reports of Christian prisoners in North Korea, and it was said that most people died of malnutrition and its complications, as prisoners were only given 21 ounces of food per day, which was a starvation ration. All of them realized that it wasn't about them. 
all of them realized that their purpose for life wasn't about them. They realized that there was greater purpose in any pain and in any sacrifice. And they chose, I'm going to sacrifice my life for God's purpose. There will be suffering. 1 Peter 3.17 said, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. You know, with this is a principle that we learn as kids to do the right thing. You know, like when you can steal something, you do the right thing. Or when you could tell a lie and not get in trouble, you do the right thing and tell the truth, even if you're going to get in trouble. We teach this to preschoolers. But then when it comes to our Christian walk with God, we want to do the easier thing or the more accepted thing for culture and not do the right thing and the holy thing and the sanctified thing. We just want to do what we want to do. It is so much better to experience God's will, though, and his purpose in our life versus what the world labels as success. Yes, there will be pain and there will be frustration and sacrifice and suffering. But we read in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So yes, we will experience the hard times and we will experience pain and suffering and frustration. Y'all don't think we ever get frustrated? We get frustrated. You don't think we ever make a sacrifice? Yes, and it may not be us laying down our lives for a steamroller to crush us, but it may look like sacrificing some relationships or some comforts. It may look like sacrificing some things that we really like to do or places we really like to go because it doesn't line up with God's will and purpose for our lives. Our benefits of walking and living in God's purpose for us include restoration and confirmation, strength, establishment, peace, joy, fulfillment, abundance, reward, eternity in heaven, clarity and favor, and a whole bunch of other things because we read in scripture that every single time someone experienced pain or they had to endure something hard, God always brought them strength. He always gave them the way to to pursue what he had called them to do it doesn't matter where he's placed us and it doesn't matter where we end up it doesn't matter how dark things might look there is always 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 a God who is watching out for us and he's walking right alongside us we just have to choose to walk in his purpose for us Mom and dad, your obedience to God has a generational impact that you may never even see in your lifetime. Grandma and grandpa, aunts and uncles, the choices you make every single day will have a generational impact that you may not even see, and your kids may not even see, but there is, God, there is not one thing that God wastes There is not one good seed that you sow that God will waste because you died. That's not how it works. Everything that God does is good and perfect. So everything that you do to give glory to him will have some kind of reaping, some kind of reward. In 1837, a man named Willem ten Boone opened up a watch shop in the Netherlands it's kind of a scary picture. This is the only one that I could find on the internet. The, the only one. Uh, his family lives, lived upstairs in this watch shop. And Willem was a dedicated, sold-out man for God. 
He taught his family to love God and serve the Lord and their fellow man. Willem and his family were active in social work in their community. And in the late 1800s, or the mid-1800s, as um, Jewish people were beginning to experience some um, persecution and oppression, Willem began to uh, form a prayer group, and their purpose was to pray for the Jewish people and for restoration for the Jews. Fifty-five years later, uh, Willem's granddaughter, Cornelia, a.k.a. Corey Ten Boom, was born, and her family had had moved away from the watch shop, but as uh, Corey Ten Boom's mother died, they moved back to the watch shop, and she began, she became the first watch shop woman, I don't really know the correct word for that, that had, had ever been, and uh, In 1941, their family joined the underground resistance, finding finding and providing safe houses for Jewish refugees. Can you show them the picture of their family? So this is, um, starting from the left, uh, is Corey's sister. And then Corey is the second one here. Their dad, Casper, mother, and then brother and sister. And I didn't write down their name, sorry. It is said that their nonviolent Nazi resistance was their way of living out their Christian faith. And God had began to open doors for them and put a burning inside of them to do just the little bit that they could to serve people who God loved. In February 28, 1944, as... Um, the Tin Boom family had been moving people in and out of their house secretly in this underground operation that they had going. Sometimes people would stay for a couple of days and then they would go to the next house, sometimes just for a couple of hours. But on February 28, 1944, the family was betrayed. The house was raided. 30 people were arrested, including Corey, her sister Betsy, their father Casper, and other family and friends. Ten days after their arrest, Casper died in prison, and Betsy and Corey were taken to a concentration camp. The girls remained witnesses, and it's said that they continued to preach the gospel in the middle of their concentration camp, and women began to find out about the saving, wonderful grace of Jesus in the middle of literal hell. Betsy died just days before Corey was released, and It is believed that over 800 lives were spared through the Ten Boom family and their safe house there in that watch shop. Willem Ten Boom could not have known that his watch shop and life of service to God would have the impact that it did. He could not have ever known that through him serving God and through him instilling a purpose in his family's hearts that on down the road over 800 people's lives would be saved and spared and then beyond that multiple women would find out about Jesus in the middle of a concentration camp 
The miraculous story that Corey shared until her death at 91 led many, many people to Jesus. And after the war, she began traveling all over the world. And she would talk about how not only Jesus had had saved her, the miracles that she saw while she was in the middle of all of that horrific stuff, but she also began teaching on forgiveness. I read this story about... Um, a soldier who was actually the soldier who put her in the concentration camp. She said she was at a meeting at a church and she, um, I think she said, well, I don't remember where it was, so I'm not going to say that. She said that um, she was talking about how good God was and his grace and forgiveness. And as the meeting was over, she saw a man from the very back begin walking up to her And she realized it was this soldier who had put her in the concentration camp, the soldier who forced her to strip naked and be marched into her concentration camp. And she said he didn't remember her, and he he told her, I was a soldier at this concentration camp. And she said he had no idea. And with tears in his eyes, he said, you've talked about God's forgiveness, but do you forgive me? because I'm so sorry for what I've done. I've, I, I've been experiencing God's forgiveness. And she said she didn't want to forgive him. And he stretched his hand out, and she just whispered to herself, God, help me. And as she stretched her hand out and took his hand, she said a supernatural healing took place, and she was able with her whole heart to say that she forgave this soldier who had put her in the concentration camp. And people have heard that story and so many other stories and have come to find out about Jesus all because of someone way, way before she was even thought of that said, I am going to serve God and I'm going to teach my family to serve God. Corey Tim Boom said, when we are on the beach, we only see a small part of the ocean. However, we know that there is much more beyond the horizon. We only see a small part of God's great love, a few jewels of his great riches, but we know that there is much more beyond the horizon. When we walk in God's purpose, we can rest assured that there is always much more beyond what we can see in our own vision. So who or what can stop God's purpose in my life? There is a false idea and a false teaching or theology that communicates that other people and their choices and their actions can prevent God's will from happening in my life. I even heard it recently. Someone said, oh, God had had given this word for a person. And because of some choices that other people made, God's will was stopped and he wasn't able to walk in God's will. No, 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 no. That is such a false understanding and communication of the authority and power that God has. Because that's saying that that we're declaring that mere mortals have more power and more authority than God. That We don't read about anything like that in this word here. Every single story that we read about God's authority says he trumps it all. And so there is nothing and nobody that can stop God's purpose in your life and in my life except for you and me. 
Myself, look in the mirror. That person you see looking back at you, that's who can stop and prevent God's purpose in your life. Only you can prevent God's purpose for your life. How? Well, number one, blatant lifestyle of sin. If you know what you're supposed to do, if you know what's right and choose to not do it, that's sin. If you continue to do it, that's a lifestyle of sin. And when you are blatantly living in a lifestyle of sin, you're preventing God's full purpose for your life. He wants to give you abundance, but if you're choosing abundance of sin, he can't do it. He wants to give you more than what you could even dream of, but if you're choosing to ignore the Holy Spirit and you're living a lifestyle of sin, it can't happen. Number two, shallow expectations of who God is and of the supernatural. That, that can prevent God's purpose in your life. How? Well, if you believe that God can't change reality, if reality is just stuck how it is, well, then you're not going to see the supernatural. If you don't believe prayer can change things, and if you don't believe that living for God will always bring in abundance, that's going to prevent you from being able to walk fully in what God has for you. Number three, misaligned goals. If your goals aren't lining up with scripture, then, then your purpose for your life is pleasing yourself. Your goals are pleasing yourself. They're not going to be walking in God's purpose. Number four, failure to meet with God. You have planning meetings, but you don't invite God to the meeting. Or you have planning meetings, but God is the consultant and not the director of the meeting. What does this look like in real life? So we could every day choose. <clears throat> we, let's, let's back up. I had never heard of Belleville, Arkansas. Even though I lived in Paris, Arkansas my whole life, I had never heard of Belleville, Arkansas until three years ago little less than three years ago. And we get this phone call from this lady named Melissa, and I couldn't pronounce her last name. And she said that someone had given someone else, had given someone else our names, and they gave our names to Melissa, and we're getting a phone call about coming to Belleville, Arkansas. And the first step was Googling Belleville, Arkansas. Now, I and Pastor Seth believe we are walking in God's purpose for our lives. But if we had looked at the, uh, the population of Belleville and the job opportunities of Belleville and where are we going to live in Belleville and where in the world is Belleville and we had chosen to walk in what we wanted because we both had full-time jobs and we had our best friends and we had, you know, things were good and I was about to have a baby and we had chosen to ignore what God was laying on our hearts and we didn't meet with God, then we would not have been able to see this season of our lives able to walk in God's purpose. What's that look like for you? There's a job opportunity, and, and the door seems open, but you're not quite sure about what you're supposed to do. The Holy Spirit has these really cool ways of confirming to you what, what God is speaking over you. If it doesn't line up with Scripture, that's your first clue. If, it, if no one else spiritually in your life confirms what God's laying on your heart, then you might need to keep praying about it. Now, don't go to your friends who aren't serving God and say, this is what God's laying on my heart. You think I should do it because they're not going to give you godly advice. But 
in every season, in every job opportunity, every school opportunity, every friendship, relationship. Don't, don't go marrying someone if you haven't had a meeting with God multiple times over and over before. Don't accept a job no matter how much money is involved in it or how little money is involved in it just because, you know, you think this is the right thing. God is not our consultant. He is the operator of everything that we do in our lives. We can not fail to have him in the meeting leading every single part of what we do. The fifth thing is laziness. We don't really like to talk about laziness, especially in church, but some people are not going to see God do the miraculous and supernatural in their lives because they won't get off their rear ends. Some people are not going to see all that God has in store for their family because they choose to not do the hard thing and serve God. They won't even get up for a 1030 service or 11 when we had it at 11. Or they, they choose not to do anything extra. Or they choose that what God's called me to do, I don't really have time for. No, no, no. When Jesus is the center of everything we do, anything else is just considered laziness. If we're not following with what God has in store for us. So, here's your list of five things that can prevent you. No, I didn't put anybody else on this list. Your wife can't prevent God's purpose for your life. Your kids, your boss... Some, some deacon board can't prevent God's purpose for your life. The president or anyone else in some kind of office can't prevent it. Nothing can prevent God's purpose for your life and God's will for your life except for you, the choices that you make. So how do I know if I'm living in God's purpose? How do I know if I'm living in God's purpose for me? Number one, Jesus is at the center of every part of my life. At the very center. I don't buy anything. Now I'm not talking about like a piece of bubble gum. But I don't spend my money on things when Jesus isn't the center of it. I don't, I don't do things within my day. We don't make choices as a family. We don't, we don't go places or take certain job opportunities if Jesus isn't at the center of everything that I'm doing. Number two, I live without pride or selfish ambition. Our culture wants us to, to have so much ambition that we'll knock people over on the way to getting to the top. And that's not what lines up with scripture. We read in 1 Peter 4.11, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. If what I'm doing is not glorifying God, then I shouldn't be doing it. So if what I'm doing is getting glory for me and it's for my selfish ambitions, then it doesn't line up with God's purpose for me. God has given each of us talents and abilities. He has given people the ability to sing and play instruments or to bake or to farm or to be so creative 
creative to teach all the things that God has put inside each and every one of you. If you're pursuing those things because you're prideful or because you want other people to notice because you want your name attached to it and bright, shiny lights, if it's for selfish ambition and promotion, then you need to realign your thinking and your heart and say, God, I strip all of that away so that everything that I'm doing is only bringing glory to you. Number three, my heart, mind, and lifestyle are not kingdom first. My heart, mind, and lifestyle are not kingdom first. In Matthew 6, 33, before this scripture, it's talking about how people can be anxious about a lot of things and worry about a lot of things. But it says in 633, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then everything else is going to fall into place. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about how things are going to work out. Seek kingdom first in your mind, in your heart, in your actions, and then everything else falls into place. Number four, my goal is holiness. That's how I know I'm living in God's purpose. When my goal for my life is holiness. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? I'm going to read that again. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That means what I put in it, in my mouth, in my mind, in my heart, and then what comes out of it. My words, my work, my attitude. If, if what I'm putting inside my body is not what I want to give the Holy Spirit inside my heart, then I don't need to put it inside my body. If what is coming out of my body my words, my attitude, my actions, if it does not bring glory to God, and if it is not what I want to attach to the Holy Spirit, then it shouldn't come out of my body. For Peter, 1 Peter 1.16 says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all, you, in all your conduct, since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Romans 13, 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Just because I want it doesn't mean I should have it. Because my body is holy and it's sanctified and it's the temple of the Holy Ghost. And if I don't want the Holy Ghost a part of it, then it shouldn't be in my life. What does that mean? You and I have been bought with a price, which was the life of Jesus. That is the center of Christianity. That's why we're here. We were bought with a price. We should, partic we should participate or refrain from things not because of our title, not because of, you know, I'm, I'm Pastor Katie or because I hold a certain office or whatever that is. We participate in things or refrain from things because of our royal identity and our call to holiness. That's what scripture leads us to. You were bought with a price. Jesus is holy, so you're holy. Jesus is royal, so you're royal. You have royal blood flowing through your body. Y'all. Seth Drury 
loves the royal family. I don't know if you knew that. It was a fun little tidbit of information. He loves the royal family, loves the queen. He's saying I'm exaggerating, but it's not true because currently his favorite show is the Great British Baking Show. And you got some thumbs up on that one. And he just loved, like, the most random royal family facts, if you want to know them, go to Royal Family Wikipedia, SethDrury.com. Because he loves the royal family. Don't act, don't act like I'm exaggerating. And he, like, if we're watching something or he's telling me about something or I see something on the news about the royal family, like a, a thing that they do, there's always some weird reason why there's all these different standards or things that they do because it's just different. When you're royal, you live life differently. We know this. Royals don't live the same kind of lifestyle that we live. And I'm not just talking about jewels and money, but I'm talking about all of the things throughout history, these standards and establishments and and um, why certain people can be kings and queens, but other people can't. And why things have to be in a certain family and other people can't be a part of the family. All those things because there's a difference when you have royal blood in you. There's a difference in your lifestyle and in my lifestyle because we have royal blood flowing through us. There's a different standard. There's a different uh, uh, expectation. Your pastors expect you to live differently because you are now royal and holy. I expect Seth to live differently because he is royal and holy. I expect myself to live differently and make different choices because I am royal and I'm holy. We should participate, or I don't abstain from certain things because I'm Pastor Katie or because I was a pastor's kid or because I went to Bible college. I don't choose to abstain from alcohol or from drugs just because you call me Pastor Katie or because people know me as a Christian. I choose to not participate in those things because my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit because I'm royal and things, uh, there are different expectations. I choose to refrain from those things because my body is not my own and my flesh is not what I should be giving into. I choose to not use bad language because I submit my tongue and my mind to King Jesus. I give control of my mouth to the Holy Spirit, not my own flesh. I choose to not go places like bars or clubs or casinos because I make no provision for my flesh but commit even the location of my body to holiness. You see how things are different when we recognize our royalty in Christ Jesus? When I recognize that every single part of my body physically and spiritually belongs to God, then my choices and my location and what I put in my body and what comes out of my body, all of those things have to look different than the world's. Then number five, I keep God's commandments. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. So I hope you feel encouraged today. Your purpose, God's purpose for your life does not have to be determined by anybody else. It's not determined by anyone else. You don't have to have it all figured out. Maybe some of you, you don't know what you want to be when you grow up and you're old, but you're, you still don't have it figured out. <laughs> or uh, or you, you're not sure should I take this job or should I not? You're not sure, is this the best decision for my family or not? Am I, am I a good mom? Am I a good dad or not? 
a really clear indication for us as believers is every day, am I waking up putting God first, working to keeping, keep his commandments and making disciples? If my kids never hear me talk about Jesus in my home, well, I need to back up and start changing the conversation in my house because I'm not even making disciples of my own kids. If I can go throughout a whole day at work and no one ever hears me mention the name Jesus or talk about my faith or talk about how good God is, you don't have to be a weirdo about it. But if no one even knows you're serving Jesus, then we got to back up because we're not walking in God's purpose for our lives. If your wife or your husband only hears the negative things and your wife or your husband doesn't see you honoring them and serving them and loving them, well, that's, that's an indication that you're not really keeping all of God's commandments and you don't have the love of God in your heart. Let's back up and change some things. So I'm going to open the altars up. And Justin, if you would just play some soft music. I, I would love for everyone to to spend some time with God and I, I have a few things that the Lord just brought to my mind maybe you say I haven't been walking in God's purpose I haven't even considered him but I want to like you're a Christian but it ends there and your decisions and the things that you do in your life you're not really thinking about God's purpose for you then let's start today realigning those things. Maybe you say, I'm seeking God's purpose for my life, and there's some things that I need some clarity on. Maybe you say, I'm seeking God's purpose in my life, but I'm, I've got some misalignment. There's some things that aren't really lining up in, in my choices and behavior. I need to talk to God about that. Or lastly, I'm seeking God's purpose, and I need some strength because it's been rough. I feel like that touches all of us in this room, myself included. And as, as I pray, I'm, I'm going to pray for all of us, and then I'm going to open the altars up for some, some time for you to just spend with God. Pray, God, I need clarity. I need you to reveal some, send somebody to me to just be blunt and tell me what you're trying to speak to me. We can pray those kind of specific prayers as we pursue God's purpose for our lives. Lord, I thank you so much that you do not waste one single thing. You don't waste one breath that you give us. You don't waste one cell in our bodies. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would show us what, what you're drawing us to, that you would open up doors that we couldn't even in our wildest dreams think of so that we can fully walk in your will and in your purpose. Lord, I pray for every person in this room that they would be drawn to you and that there would be a realignment in their lives, in our lives, as we pursue you without consideration of our flesh, without consideration of what we know already, Lord, but just with complete abandon, running after you. These altars are open if you would like to come.